This is Jude Seymour from a One Foot Down writer editor. I'm also with writer editor Brad Wechter. Brad, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a happy Wednesday, right? It'll be Thursday when people hear this podcast for sure, or maybe whenever they tune in, hopefully before the weekend. Um, Josh, uh, our supreme warlord and leader, is off doing something else. He recorded a off the rails podcast um, yesterday or uh, today as we're recording it. And so I urge you guys to check that out, as well as the podcast that I recorded with Greg Flamang from uh, UHND, where we talk more about USC. Um, Brad and I are going to do uh, some basically random topics. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about USC, but uh, if you want to get the deep dive on USC, uh, check out the podcast that I w- did with Greg that's been posted on the site already. So, uh, Brad, I want to start it with um, something I didn't talk to Greg about, but I, I really should have which was uh, Michael Pittman Jr. He's a a wide receiver for USC. Uh, He was asked by the media about what advice he would give to the younger players who are coming out to Notre Dame for the first time. Um, As you may or may not be aware, there's some sort of weird cold front coming through uh, Notre Dame, and uh, temperatures that are now, I guess, in the 70s um, are going to creep down into the low 40s for the game uh, on Saturday. And obviously, if you're a person who is going to school in Los Angeles, you are not used to temperatures in the low 40s. I don't believe you are, at least. Um, So his exact quote was, quote, I told them to embrace the suck. It's going to be cold, but it'll be fun when we're running up the score. So, (laughs) Brad, what did you you make of this, uh, this comment from Pittman? Well, first off, 40 degrees is comfortable. I grew up in the Midwest. I prefer it that way. I'm sitting here. I think it's like 70 in my condo right now, and I'm like steaming up my glasses and breaking sweat. So I'd be looking forward to 40 degrees, but I don't go to USC. So, on, like, you know, at face value, you could take this as the sort of, like, you know, this is billboard material. This is rat poison. This is is or isn't. But I honestly think he was just trying to motivate and speak to the young guys on the team and be a leader. And I don't begrudge him for that. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it is USC week, and we don't really like USC. So I say put it on the billboard. <laughs> I absolutely think you should tag it to the billboard. I love it though. Um, you know, it shows that maybe they have a little competitive fire in their belly. Uh, they're sitting at three and two They're, You know, Greg and I talked earlier today about how this is sort of an inflection point for USC season, uh, you know, win this game and really, um, your expectations for how the rest of the season may go, uh, kind of change, um, lose the game. And it's sort of like, Oh, here we go again. You know, they really can't beat any team of consequence, especially on the road. Um, if this is a way of firing himself up and firing his teammates up, um, I say I'm all for it. And you know what? This is what makes rivalries great. Like if they weren't shit talking each other, I would be like way more upset about that because yeah. I think that this is sort of, it, it speaks to the heart of we don't like them and they don't like us. And we're there, you know, we're, it's not about dirty play or anything like that, but it's coming in and, uh, being competitive and it doesn't matter what the rankings are. Uh, on solid verbal, they saw they throw out the records. 
Um, you know, USC is going to give their best game. I would be very shocked to see them just sort of give up uh, against uh, against Notre Dame. So I, I like it. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I also think that had he said this before the media got a chance, the Notre Dame media, uh, beat media got a chance to talk to Notre Dame players, that there really would have been no response from Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame, it's not a, it's not a like, oh, we're classier than them or anything like that. I think it's more just a, they have been trained by Brian Kelly not to say anything remotely interesting, uh, which makes, you know, uh, I think it was Liam Eichenberg who like said something about Virginia Tech, was a little, little trash talking Virginia Tech before the game. And then, <laughs> That he didn't do a, a single other media appearance for the the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> Effectively sidelined for the. So, you know, if you ask Ian Book about Michael Pittman, oh, you know, that's a great great competitor, and you know, I'm sure he would have said something really completely generically boring. Uh, I do hope that Jack Nolan asks Brian Kelly about this on the Thursday Brian Kelly radio show. I do not hold my breath that that actually happens, um, but you know, I think it's. I think it's fun, and 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 I am 100% with you. Tack it to the bulletin board, you know, and remind people that it doesn't matter if they're unranked and and three and two and and whatever their situation with their coach and their right, yeah. director is, they're coming to play. Yeah, and them. it's and if you're USC, it's not like you haven't had. It's not like you don't have a ton of talent on your squad. Like you said, with the coaching issues, like. It, it very well could be for this team, but they don't play well because they have poor coaching. And I think their coach is still on the hot seat if he hasn't been fired yet. I, I didn't pay attention today. I don't know. But, I mean, it, it's okay. It's okay to be cocky if you're coming in with, you know, like consistently top five recruiting classes and you have all this talent in your team. You're Michael Pittman, who's one of the, you know, more talented receivers in the nation. Like, okay, you you get to be cocky. You get to throw out throw out the, throw out the records and we'll see what happens, you know? I mean, I just, I love, um, I love guys who talk a lot of crap and and back up their play too. Um, yeah. The one that's always struck me was because growing up in New Jersey it was a big deal. Was uh, Mark Messier guaranteeing uh, like a game six? Uh, I want to say maybe it was conference championship. Maybe it was Stanley Cup. I think it was conference championship against the Devils, guaranteeing that they were going to win, and then went out and just had a great game. You know, I, I love yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Um, people remember. Oh, and- you and know. chirping in hockey is just a whole different thing. It is just so entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I say if you can back it up, and, and Pittman certainly could, um, then you know what? Chirp a little. Chirp a little, and um, yeah. we'll see you out in the field. And, you know, the other thing that that reminds me of is uh, Will Fuller against Dory Jackson. I, I mean, I, Notre Dame fans share this clip uh, gleefully. Uh, Will J- uh, Will Fuller torching Adoree Jackson during the 2015 home game, but the uh, Deshaun Kaiser showed like a view one time of like it must have been like the game film that they get from the coaches or whatever, and you what you saw was Fuller and Jackson were like shaking hands or like slapping hands before the play started, like you know this is one competitor uh, to another saying, "Hey man, have your best game because I'm going to bring my best." And I, that's yeah. I kind of love that, you know. Yeah, that's like uh, it's like the offensive lineman helping the defensive lineman up and saying, "Get up, I'm going to do it again." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay. So one of the things I asked Greg about, and I'd be curious to your thoughts. The last I looked at the line, and I haven't looked at it all day. It was Notre Dame favored by eleven. 
I'm just wondering from a 30,000 foot view, does that feel right to you? Does that feel high? Does that feel low? What it, What's your feeling about sort of where this game might be going? You know, I don't know what Greg said about this, but to me, it feels right. It's a home game. USC's unranked. Without the whole rivalry aspect and the throw out the records aspect, that feels right given where USC is. However, we're only now in this era of Notre Dame can actually cover the spread. So I don't know what to expect. They may regress here and win this game by seven, three, or lose outright. I don't know. But you have to feel a little confident given, you know, that Notre Dame is beating the opponents they're supposed to and they're covering the spread now, which is just a new concept for all of us. It's it's funny because you sort of – they've been playing to the level of their competition in, in, in previous years. And, and this year we haven't seen that with New Mexico and Bowling Green being the, the two examples of like, they were supposed to take care of them and they won both games by 52 points. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Greg and I both had uh, score predictions. I, I think I went with like 34, 24, 34, 20. He was more like 38, 20. Uh, so both of us are kind of like, you know, 34, 24, obviously wouldn't cover the spread, but it would be darn close. Um, I feel probably 85% confident that we win this game. Uh, we, you know, like I, I'm the Irish win this game. I got to stop doing that. Um, I, you know, if you had to, if I put you on the spot and said, okay, it's, I, I know it's Wednesday night, you know, we got it's a lot, a lot ahead of us, but what do you feel about maybe the way the final score looks at the at the end of Saturday? Well, I mean, you mentioned 2015 earlier. I think this game feels a lot like 2015. It's, a, I mean, on the surface, it's a night game against USC, and it's going to be crazy like that again. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another high-scoring 10-point win by Notre Dame to the tune of like 44-34 uh, or something. Oh, okay. Well, just a reminder that uh, Notre Dame hasn't yielded more than 30 points in 16 straight games now, or maybe it's 19. They're only trailing Washington in that category. So, Well, they uh, haven't played Michael Pittman Jr. yet. <laughs> they have not played Michael Pittman Jr. in at least <laughs> a year. <laughs> uh, you know, we were talking a little bit, too, about I don't know what your recollection of the uh, USC game last year was. And obviously it's a totally different vibe you know, out at the Coliseum at the end of the year. Um, but that game, like, gave me a legit heart attack for, like, two and a half quarters. Oh, yeah. And Greg was like, you know, I wasn't worried because he's like, I felt like USC was playing their absolute best and Notre Dame wasn't playing that great and they were still very much in that game. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't going – it was going a little sideways, but it wasn't careening off the road. And – um and he said, you know, and at some point it got to be like 24-10 with like about two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it was just like, wh- why did we why did we even bother worrying? You know what I mean? So, right, yeah. Um, but it's a kind of a different vibe. Um, as Greg mentioned on the show earlier today, uh, JT Daniels got hurt. Uh, he's out. He's lost for the season. So um, they went to a backup true freshman named uh, Keaton Slovis. And uh, he got concussed. And he has actually missed the at least the last game, maybe the last two games. Um, and so he's actually coming back to take over because they've uh, they've run the the third string out there, uh, a guy named Matt Fink. So um, Slovis is back, and he's got to come to Notre Dame as a I believe a true freshman 
and play at Notre Dame Stadium, 7.30 at night, you know, packed house. These games usually get loud, so I'm kind of hoping that, uh, you know, this ends up making a difference in terms of shaking his confidence and 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 being maybe the difference or whatever. But, uh, look, he's got, th- he's got three talented uh, weapons. You know, we've talked a lot about Pittman. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's is a name that uh, Irish fans remember, and Irish fans definitely remember Amon Ross St. Brown, not only because he's Equinemius' little brother, but he was highly sought after um, by Notre Dame, and they didn't they didn't end up landing him. So um, there's definitely yeah, some he is, he is the sun god after all. So. He is the sun god. That's right. And uh, Greg reminded me also that uh, the running back, and I, I think he's like third string, so I'm I'm not sure he's going to play a huge role in this game. Uh, for USC is a guy named Marquis Stepp, who actually committed to Notre Dame. Um, there was an issue in terms of, I think, his, his admissions or his ability to qualify for Notre Dame. So he ended up decommitting, and uh, he got to uh, – he committed to USC and plays for USC now, and he's from uh, Indianapolis. So he this is a homecoming for him. I, I saw him the other day, an interview with him, saying he's trying to get 40 tickets for the game. Uh, so this is obviously a big moment for him as well. So a couple of people to keep your eye on. I wondered why that name was so familiar. It's, you just educated me as to why I had heard Marquis Step before, and I couldn't figure out why, but that's why. It was in our class. I think people were pretty high on him, and yeah, I think rightfully so. And, um, you know, he's kind of their their third and two kind of bruiser back, is if I understand it correctly. So a uh, goal-to-go kind of situation, dude. Um, maybe not somebody who will, uh, take the top off the defense, but somebody who will get the, get the, the tough yards when needed. So, um, and I'm also, I'm also reminded of oddly enough, and this is an off the rails thing, uh, the film major league where you're trying to say Jesus Christ couldn't hit a curveball. You trying to say the sun God can't outrun your DBs. <laughs> you could make all sorts of like torching on fire, <laughs> right? Heating up, warming up. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's fertile ground right there. They'll basically, write themselves. Yeah, hopefully not. Troy Pride isn't toast, you know. Um, so. Yeah, hopefully he wears his sunblock. Oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, we'll shut up for a little bit. So, um, so let's let's uh, look forward a little bit. I know that sometimes Irish fans cringe about you know talking about the end of the season, but. We are going at the end of uh, this month. We'll have our first um, cl- college football playoff ranking. Um, and then obviously there will be a great interest in terms of uh, how Notre Dame shakes out for the rest of the year. So um, I, at the chance of angering some uh, sun gods or otherwise, let's assume a Notre Dame win here and they're going into the bye week at five and one. Um First of all, give me your thoughts about where they maybe end up. Who do you see on the schedule that could be, um, you know, maybe the second loss? Or do you think that they that they win out? Um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, and five, it's, it's October ninth, and it's a totally unfair question, but right. So, um, so our fans do this anyway. So, right. I mean, we so might as well might, might as well talk about it. Um, assuming five and one. Because at this point, I would have said USC is scary and, and possibly a second loss. But assuming five and one, I still think Notre Dame's the highest ranked one loss team. I think that puts them, you know, in the same place as 
Well, so Ford has to play Auburn, right? Has to play Auburn. Uh, they just didn't. They just play Auburn. Oh, did they just? Yeah, that's right. They just beat Auburn, so they yeah. have to play LSU. So right. there's. I don't know what's going to happen there, but um, I mean, I still think the eight to ten range is reasonable and acceptable. I some people want to jump Texas over Notre Dame, and I don't get that necessarily. But I could see Texas being right there. Uh, as far as a second loss, man, I don't know. I could easily see Notre Dame winning out as the optimist. But, I mean, what if all of a sudden Michigan figures out how to play football? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that after the bye week, Michigan represents probably the greatest uh, test in the back half of that schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously games against home game against Virginia Tech, away against Duke, um, home against Navy and Boston College, and then finishing up in, in Palo Alto on the farm. Uh, Stanford doesn't seem to be what they were in previous years, so that game doesn't scare me like it did in July. Not yet, um, not at all. 18 stripes uh, does a probability, a win probability matrix. They've updated it for um, for to in- include include the latest results. And they've determined that there's a 12.9% chance of Notre Dame winning out. So, you know, not bad. Uh, you know, what? 13 out of 100 simulations, they uh, they finished with a perfect record. So, uh, obviously, Michigan being the, the greatest stumbling block uh, to to getting to where, where they want to be. So, um, I don't know. For, you know, Boston College, just because it's senior day, it's at home. Uh, I think there's negative associations with that because of 1993. Uh, and they got this kid, A.J. Dillon, that I absolutely love. I don't think that they have enough of a complete team. I mean, they got housed by Kansas in their own in, uh, at Alumni Stadium. So I'm not as worried about that as I was before the season. Um, but you never know. You never know who's going to play at time. and. And to be honest with you, Brad, I'm I'm a little worried about the cumulative effect of these injuries. I mean, we're getting Jafar ba- Armstrong back this this week, and I think that's going to be huge. But um, you know, Sean Crawford's absence has allowed Tariq Bracy to be a starter. Um, uh, Cam Hart, who just moved over from wide receiver, is the the se- the second string cornerback, backup cornerback now. I, I I'm a little I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. So do you have, do you share those same worries about the, the injuries that we've suffered so far? I mean, I don't think it's so much a worry. It's just like, I'm assuming that we're going to be thin when we go to Palo Alto. Like that's just how these seasons tend to work out. I mean, look at 2015, look at 2012. I mean, the, the team was thin and I have more faith in the coaching staff now, especially on the defensive side of the ball to get guys like Tariq Crazy ready. And, and with what we've seen from guys like Kyle Hamilton, we can get other young guys ready. So, you know, having Sean Crawford on the bench for 46 weeks doesn't worry me as much as it used to when, you know, the defense was Swiss cheese and they were like, you didn't like if, if Drew Tranquil goes down, you have no one behind him to make a tackle. Um, I think it's, I think it's better now than it used to be, but it's a valid point for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't want Tariq Bracey learning on the job well. Uh, Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, and Amon <laughs> Brown are lined up against him. You know what I mean? I just, I could see some, I, I could see him getting picked on a lot uh, in the next game. And I'm, I'm frankly a little worried, but I, I also realize that they're, they're not going to leave him on an Island by himself, that they'll have someone shading that way. 
Um, so I, I guess, I guess, um, you know, that makes me feel a little bit better. So I mean, I, I guess from my perspective, if we run into a situation where we're in the college football playoff and giving up all of our points because Julian Love went down, then that's actually one of the better outcomes of a one loss season. I, I just, I'd be okay with that. Like yeah. if, if Tariq Bracey was the one getting picked on the college football playoff and we gave up 30 points, not bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, we talked about this in the, uh, the podcast that was lost to uh, the robots, but. Um, Which was, by the way, one of our best ever. <laughs> you like that one, huh? All right. <laughs> we were on point that whole time. We would have killed a lot of records. We'll, we'll try to uh, recreate the wheel tonight. But um, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, sort of going and getting this onus, this, this, this kind of proverbial cloud that hangs over Notre Dame's head about um, they can't start a season in the top 10 and finish it in the top 10. They can't win a New Year's Six bowl game. They haven't won one since 1994. Kind of getting some of those monkeys off your back. And um, and we had talked about this based off of a, a Pete Sampson a tweet. Um, uh, it, again, we're going to have this conversation again, but I think it was a good one. Um, Pete Sampson had given a hypothetical. If you could play Wake, Virginia, Duke, or Pitt in the Orange Bowl, or – Clemson, because they got snubbed from the college football playoff, who would Irish fans most like to play? And I got to be honest, I was very surprised at the number of people that had said Clemson in the comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm squarely in the group of like, let's play Wake or Boise or something. Yeah. Win a game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I picked Wake um, for pro- from process of elimination, right? Yeah. I thought that the Orange Bowl – they have the option. They have to take the. They have to take an ACC team. They do not have to take Notre Dame. Um, I think. I think the Orange Bowl would not want to watch a Notre Dame play Virginia or Duke again. So right. those are eliminated, just based on the fact that they play each other in the regular season. Um, Pitt is like you know they're good for one of these just you know wacky wins where they have no business beating up the number two team in the nation, but, but seem to do it. Uh, I want no part of Pitt. Uh, they gave us the heart attack last year. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I, I haven't looked at Pitt that much this year, so I don't know if it's, it, it's matchup problem per se, but I just don't like, I don't like going up against Pitt. I think it's, it, it's inviting bad juju. Uh, I want absolutely no part of Clemson, especially a pissed off uh, Clemson who feels that they should have been in the college football playoff and for whatever reason was uh, was not there. Uh, I you know Obviously, if they go undefeated, I don't know how you can exclude them uh, based on the fact that they uh, won the whole darn thing uh, last year. But, um, you know, obviously a, a Clemson with something to prove uh, versus Notre Dame, I still don't think Clemson is a good matchup for us. And uh, I don't care to watch them lose by, you know, 20 points. Uh, again so yeah give me wake give me boise state give me cincinnati uh you know whatever makes sense for in terms of group of five team or whatever i literally don't care if you're like well it doesn't count because uh they beat a group of five team it absolutely fucking counts uh well i mean if they win the cotton bowl or the orange absolutely counts yeah i mean how many times have those group of five teams come into these major bowls and Louisville went and blew out Florida State, or Boise State beats Oklahoma. Like, 
this stuff happens in Central Florida. I mean, it's still an accomplishment if you go in and beat a good group of five team. And I think the tweet I saw, I don't remember who it was. It was somebody in the Notre Dame blogging network, um, blogosphere, who said, well, I guess you just all want to see 2015 Ohio State again because that was probably the best team at the end of the year. They got matched up against Notre Dame in a bowl because they had lost to probably Purdue or something. I'm forgetting. But, and, and, you know, they, they beat that a lot in Notre Dame. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to see that again. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the 2015 Ohio State was a great example of a team that was was hot at the end. Yeah. Um, and that, had, was that that wasn't you that tweeted it? Was it? No, no, just had kind of laid that egg or whatever. So, um, in the in sort of in the beginning of the season, if I remember correctly, I, maybe that was the year they lost to Virginia Tech. They always have one kind of just head scratching loss. Uh, 20, 2014 was the year they lost to Virginia Tech, and I remember this because they did it on the same weekend that thirty seven to nothing happened. Okay. Right. And I remember being in the car, listening to the recap of the Ohio State game after having been at the Notre Dame game and being like, yeah, this is going to be an amazing year. And then Ohio State won it all and Notre Dame went like six and four or something. That's the only reason I remember that. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, uh, oh, they lost to uh, Michigan State in the Big Ten. Uh, was it, is that the Big Ten final? No, that was that was uh, oh two weeks, I guess, before the end of the season. So Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it was a good Michigan State team. That was the one that um, went to the college football playoff, and then got out by Alabama. But and had had a spectacular experience. Yeah. So yeah, so I think we're in agreement here. Um, obviously, if if listeners disagree, they're welcome to chirp at us. Um, but I just I I don't I just I, maybe it's a, a a bruised psyche or something. I just. I need the talking point of 1994 to go away. And I think the easiest way to do that is to, to face a team that um, you have some familiarity with because they're in the ACC and you played them recently. Um, and, you know, and, and hopefully your personnel is better than theirs in, in terms of not only do you, you know, who you, who you have, or, but also guys like Kyle Hamilton that have just um, proven themselves time and time again, week to week or whatever, and just are getting better. Um, it's just been such a joy to watch guys get better this year. And I think that we've watched, uh, a lot of guys on our team get better instead of say, uh, stay the same or regress. Would that be fair? Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Cool. Um, what else should we talk about, Brad? What's, what else is, what else are people talking about? Oh, geez. I don't know. What have I seen on Twitter recently? It, it, I guess what maybe a general thirty thousand foot view question is there what is um what to you is the most concerning um part of of Notre Dame's team right now? Is there something that they're not doing that you think they should be doing or are capable of doing and just not doing? I mean, I think the concerns around Ian Book's progression have been widely and thoroughly documented. So I won't sit here and say like, oh, I think, you know, Brian Kelly has an issue with quarterbacks regressing in their second year in the system. And man, Phil looks so good in those uh, filling um, possessions against uh, Bowling Green. I, I think, I mean, a lot of people would say it's just, I think the running game has to get better, but I think we're going to see it get better with the return of Jafar. And other than that, I mean, I just, I don't have a whole lot to complain about given my expectations for this and how they've done. 
I mean, how many people before the Georgia game predicting Georgia running away with just blowing Notre Dame out? Um, me. Me and a bunch yeah, of my exactly. really smart people that are not me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so we're sitting here with a quality SEC loss and wins over a win over Virginia, uh, a big game against USC, and Michigan doesn't look very good. I, I just don't I don't see a need for any sort of pessimism. Yeah. I'll be curious to see um how Jafar Armstrong impacts the the offense because one of the things that I, I did not foresee was how big Cole Komet would become a part of this offense. Oh. Um, when when Cole went down, I, I thought, okay, well they've got, you know, they've got Brock Wright and they've got Tommy Tremble, they're probably fine. And I very much underestimated how much uh he has the ability to get open, how much mm-hmm. uh, Ian Book looks for him and likes him. And it just how how kind of having that two tight end set is really kind of changed the the look of the offense. So uh, Jafar brings an, an added complexity to this too because not only can do they do two back stuff, but they can do they can put him in the slot and do kind of a five wide. Um, he's he's kind of a Swiss Army knife, and he can also catch passes out of the backfield. Something that they tried to do with Kyron Williams for about three hot seconds, and. Uh, <laughs> Kyron Williams is not a replacement for Jafar Armstrong. And I'm actually encouraged that they're saying now that they're going to redshirt Kyron Williams because, to me, that speaks to their confidence that Jafar Armstrong is not only going to come back from this injury, but he's going to look good in his, in his comeback. That makes sense, yeah. I think, oh. the big, I think the biggest thing we'll see, and a lot of people were complaining online angrily as they do about this, was – the play calling with Tony Jones Jr. in the backfield or Jameer Smith as not the quickest running backs, but bruisers. But they were they were calling plays where you need a quick hitter like Jafar to really um, excel in those plays. So it'll be interesting to see that. I think I, I personally think play calling will remain the same, but I think the running game will see more success with Jafar in those positions, and then they'll be better able to utilize guys like Jameer Smith. Tony Jones Jr. And, and I didn't know that they said they should kind of blame. So that's interesting. Yeah, and they're also flirting with that with Dante Vaughn too, which is is sort of um, maybe uh, the high wire act without the net below it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think maybe that if you know, look, first of all, they can't they can't sustain another injury, especially while Crawford's gone, right? Or right, Crawford yeah. will come back as soon as that. But if if Bracey just looks lost, then I mean they they just they have to play Vaughn. I I don't think that they can really uh you know do it any other way. So um I get I sort of get where they're I, I get what they're thinking, but I, I don't know that they're gonna be able to pull this off as maybe as well as they they think that they can, you know. So Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um so one of the things I wanted to talk about that's kind of random, and since this is a very random podcast, is um, the XFL is having its draft this weekend. Uh, I don't know that I can get excited about uh, a league that doesn't start playing football until next year, but I did notice that four uh, guys from Notre Dame, four former Notre Dame guys, uh, Jonas Gray, Jay Hayes, uh, Terry Fulston, and our old long snapper Scott Daly – uh, have, have already jumped in the uh, the XFL draft. 
Uh, did you watch any of the AAF and would you watch any kind of XFL action if it's, if it gets off the ground next year? I might YouTube it from board. <laughs> I didn't watch any of the, the, uh, is it AAF? AFL? Yeah, Alliance of American football. Yeah. I did not watch any of that. I did follow some of the, uh, who said, you know, this Notre Dame players on this team or whatever. Um, one guy I am cheering for was Tarion Colston. That, that guy, I don't know what it is about him, but he's got a special place in my heart, one of my favorite uh, Notre Dame players. I would love to see him be successful in something like the XFL if it does take off. However, I just we've already seen a gimmick football league fail. Why, why are they trying yeah, but, it again? But how about Vince McMahon is involved in this one? It's going to be different, isn't it? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, the one thing, I, my one takeaway was, the people that are eligible for this XFL draft are a lot of people that played in the AAF. Um, you know, Folston, uh, Daly, right. uh, definitely played in the AAF. Um, I don't think Jay Hayes did. I don't believe Jonas Gray did. Jonas Gray's kind of an interesting thing because he had he had uh, basically a cup of coffee in the in the NFL and he had one week. I think he played against Indianapolis where he made the actual cover of Sports Illustrated because he was yeah. it was such a stud performance. But yeah, he scored like four touchdowns and ran for over three hundred yards. And then he slept through an alarm clock. The Patriots cut him and we forgot he existed. Yes. Yes. I mean you remember this. You <laughs> yeah. remember this. So it's hard, you know, with all due respect to Scott Daly, it's really hard to get excited about, oh, you know, well, this team has our old long snapper, you know, I just, I, 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 you don't see that at a dinner party, you know, like, did you hear the, the latest about Scott Daly? I mean, like maybe Scott Daly's family says this, but. Yeah. Well, the uh, only thing that gets me excited about special teams is Pat McAfee. So if you have Pat McAfee on the broadcast, I'm all for it, but yeah. otherwise. I actually really, I don't know how much you've been able to watch those Thursday broadcasts with um, Adam Amin and um, Pat McAfee and, and Hasselbeck, but they're, they're my level of zany. I, I, I think that they, I think they realize that Thursday night football is like you're sort of if you're watching Thursday night, you're sort of a degenerate, you know. So yeah. like they just kind of <laughs> like it's not, you know, we don't have to be Jim Nance or Vern Lundquist or you know what I mean, like Gary so, Danielson or somebody who's like takes themselves way too freaking seriously, you know. They, they, yeah, they know their audience. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Oh. I, I imagine Pat McAfee has that expertise from all his time on Twitter and Bob and Tom. So he knows exactly who he's talking to. I, I just happen to be a Pat McAfee fan. I'll shut up. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he was involved in this whole Richard Sherman Baker Mayfield thing. Were you following that at all? I, I was, but I, you know, when, so I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and I, I even wore my, specially uh, ironed on Cleveland Browns logo denim jacket to work on Monday. And then we got worked. So I've kind of been ignoring the whole thing. So I've been reading the the, or the uh, headlines. And I know Richard Sherman was mad that Baker didn't shake his hand. Baker did shake his hand. Uh, I think my favorite part was there was video of Baker shaking his hand. And they asked Baker about it in a press conference. And he was like, yeah, for one time, the video evidence like goes for me instead of against me. I thought that was funny, but otherwise I've been trying to avoid that whole dissonance. My team still sucks, even though it's a good thing. I mean, why can't Richard Sherman just pick up the, if he's offended by the way that Baker Mayfield touched him or didn't touch him or whatever, why doesn't he just pick up the phone? Like I was just, I was, I was texting my friends today saying, 
do you think that Richard Sherman would have to wait more than an hour to get Baker Mayfield's personal cell phone? Like there's gotta be people that know people who can get that information. So if Sherman feels disrespected, I don't understand what the whole play is going through the media. And then to have either forgotten that he actually did get a, like a bro shake or, or whatever. And then sort of be like, you know, I don't know if he was apologizing for it or, or, or talking it away or whatever. I just, the whole thing struck me as terribly juvenile and it, to yeah. be frankly a little surprising. So, yeah, I think, I think the best he did was he admitted he was. Yeah, you don't see that a lot. So that, right. that's good. So, uh, you know, when, when faced with, with indisputable video evidence, he finally, I guess, copped to uh, the whole thing or whatever. So after review of the play. Yeah. Are you a footage, uh, <laughs> footage is confirmed. I don't know. Are you a hockey guy at all? Um, no, but I recently um, binged Letterkenny. Have okay. you seen this at all? No, not at all. What is this? Okay, so it's a it's a comedy show. It was on some like Canadian network before Hulu picked it up, but it's about a small town in Canada. But it's very very funny and it's very endearing and it's very wholesome. Um, but one of the major aspects of the show is is chirping as if you wouldn't hockey. So like the cold open for the first show is really vulgar so i won't repeat it <laughs> but it's very very funny okay so the one the one part of it, like so one of the characters is a hockey player and he wants to fight the other one he's like all right tarps off boys you want to have a dotty brook and he takes his shirt off puts his sunglasses back on the other guy's like wait a minute you take your shirt off but leave your sunglasses on what kind of backwards pageantry is that you trying to have a fight or you're trying to play poker on pokerstars.com so it's just the the chirping is very good that's why i like I mean, I went to a hockey school. I still don't fully understand the game, but I like to watch it. Just to Did you pay questions. attention to it at all in college? You were a Miami of Ohio guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were ranked, you know, top five and winning the rest in peace CCHA when I was in school. Uh, we lost my senior year. We lost in the university in the national championship after holding a three-to-one lead with 30 seconds left. So if you think I cool. haven't ever felt – some sports hardship. Like, remember, I'm from Cleveland and that happened. But yeah, I mean, I, I like that. Off. What's that? We lose you, Brad. No, I'm still here. Oh, okay. All right. You just kind of cut out there. So maybe this is the gods from above telling us that we've, we've spoken enough and uh, it's time to wrap things up. So, um, Anyways, you can follow both of us uh, through our writings at One Foot Down. So check us out there and um, go Irish. Go Irish.